This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Divine Echoes, Reconciling Prayer with the Uncontrolling Love of God. How the heck does petitionary prayer work in a world where there's so much suffering and evil? Is praying for others just a religious, superstitious practice that does nothing at all except make the person praying feel better? If we don't pray for others, does God allow them to get sicker, lose potential rent money, and suffer in their addictions? Is that who God really is? Can we engage in prayer that is more effective, less harmful, and doesn't make God look like an unfair, stingy, and fickle jerk? If you are looking for a pioneering book on prayer that is thought-provoking, challenging, and endorsed by some of today's most well-known authors and scholars, then Divine Echoes is the book for you. Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. So good to be with you. On this episode, I interviewed Allie Henney. She has a book that is out now called I Won't Shut Up. This was a really thought-provoking conversation. It was amazing to talk to her and get her thoughts on so many things. We talked a lot about um, black churches and her time in a majority white Pentecostal space and what that was like in the transition. And also, we talked a lot about black women and how they can navigate what it's like to be in a majority white evangelical space. I was honored to have her on the podcast. Her book is out now, friends. It's worth picking up. It's a great read. And I hope that this interview really helps you as we hear from other voices coming from different perspectives and different traditions and how they navigated their way out of white evangelical spaces. That being said, as always, thank you friends so much for listening to this podcast and being part of the work that we do. Hey, I want to give you a heads up on something. Um, TNE, we are evolving, we are shifting, we are changing, we are growing, um, and we are planning kind of the evolution of the new evangelicals and what it looks like long term. I mean, I'm actually meeting with our board and a few of our key volunteers in September to get us in the same room to really start thinking about the next three to five year vision of the new evangelicals. So that's kind of scary for me, honestly, because I never um, thought that what I would start in 2020 of December would become what it is, but it's becoming more evident to me that we have work to do and that we can hopefully help be part of uh, carving better paths forward for so many people who are trying to navigate life post uh, in the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. So you will probably be hearing some of that, uh, some of those changes and details later on as we develop those things. One thing I am doing is every Wednesday on our Instagram story, I'm now giving people an inside scoop, kind of giving everyone an update what's going on. I also have a pretty big announcement that I am not able to announce publicly just yet, but should be able to by the end of this month, the end of July, that will, I think, be a game changer for the organization and for the community. So stay tuned for that. And as always, friends, your support means the world to me. A lot of you email me now, and I'm discovering that people that I even know in my personal life listen to this podcast. So thanks. You know, whether you agree with me or not, I appreciate you sitting down and listening to this and listening to my perspectives and our guests. That just means the world. And as always, friends, if you want to support the work that we do, you can always share this podcast, share our content, or you can donate. We are a nonprofit organization. We do everything completely paywall-free. What that means is that nothing we have is hidden behind a paywall for our financial benefit. Instead, we rely on the generosity of people like you to donate to keep this work going. And yeah, 
yes, it does take money to make this work going. Between the technology, between the costs of, of, of paying people to come into our book club and to do our Theology 101 and to create the content, um, and of course, my salary, things like that, all just take money to do. And so our donors are the lifeblood of our organization. Right now, 450 plus people donate monthly. If you want to be one of those people to help sustain this work, the link is in our bio. All right, friends, that's all I got for now. Oh, one last thing I'll say. I, I know that we have an ad spot already about this, but Theology Beer Camp, it's coming up in October. Friends, the lineup is getting ridiculous. We're talking about Pete Enns, Tony Jones, Leah Robinson, Roberto Espinoza is coming. We have Jay McDaniel, Thomas J. Ord, uh, Sarah Lane Ritchie, Reggie Williams, John Dominic Cross, and Adam Clark. These are massive scholars and theologians. They're going to be at beer camp. Kevin Garcia is going to be at beer camp. Uh, of course, Trip Fuller will be there. Sarah Heath will be there. I'll be there. Noah's going to be there. It's a big event. Okay. I really recommend picking up your ticket. Use promo code TNEGodPod for, I think it's 25 bucks off your ticket price. Come out to Missouri, hang out with me. If you are navigating your deconstruction process and you want better paths forward, this is the event to come to. I'm telling you, this is a good time. I know this is a longer intro than normal, but I wanted to give you all these things and also re-emphasize how important coming out to Theology Beer Camp is if you're able to make it happen. So hopefully I will see you in October. All right, friends, here's my interview with Ali. Talk to you all then. Big news, friends. The podcast is heading back to Theology Beer Camp hosted by Trip Floor. Now, Noah and I went last year, and it was an amazing time. We met so many of you, and we're doing it again this year in October. You'll get to hang out with podcasts like ours. You have permission with Dan Koch, The Bible for Normal People with Pete Enns and Jared Bias, and so many more. And there are amazing scholars like Adam Clark, Thomas J. Ord, and John Dominic Crossan with more speakers and podcasts to be announced. The sooner you you get tickets, the cheaper they are. In fact, if you use promo code TNEGODPOD, you'll get $25 off your ticket. Let me tell you something. If you are looking for better ways forward in the Christian tradition, this is the event to come to. Yes, you get to hear from some amazing speakers and hear some amazing lectures, but the secret sauce in beer camp is that you get to hang out with these folks and listen to them in conversation. Plus, you get to hang out with Noah and I for a few days and have a great time. Use promo code T-N-E God Pod for $25 off your ticket. And I'll see you in Missouri in October with me and Noah, Trip Fuller, all the great scholars, all the great podcasts. I'll see you then. All right. Wow. Okay. I'm super excited. So I have on this episode of the podcast, friends, Ali Henny. You wrote the book, I Won't Shut Up, Finding Your Voice When the World Tries to Silence You. I just got a copy of it the other day. I'm looking forward to really diving in. Thank you for making time and being on the podcast. It means so much. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I like to ask all of our guests the same kind of opening question, and that is, how did you grow up? I mean, I grew up in white evangelical spaces uh, my whole life, homeschooled the whole nine. What is your background and what led you to writing this book? Yeah, so um, my spiritual background, let's see, I come from the Black Baptist and the Black uh, Pentecostal faith tradition. So my family, my mom was raised AME, I think it was mm -hmm. um, the church that they that they went to whenever she was little was AME. And then um, whenever she moved to the town that I that I grew up in, um, there was one little black church, and that was a, it was a little Baptist church. And so we were kind of in and out of that church uh, for, for various reasons uh, from the time that I was born until I was about 11 or 12. I guess I probably, I probably would have been 12 years old. Uh, we were we were in and out of that church. And then my mom um, met a Pentecostal pastor at a funeral of, it was the pastor's, um, it was one of his relatives, one of his distant relatives and a friend of uh, of my family. They, they met, we weren't going 
to church at the time. He invited um, my mom to his church, which was in the next town over. Um, and so we started going to that Pentecostal church whenever I was 13. So I, I started going there um, and attended there until I graduated high school. And then whenever I went off to college, um, I went to college in a predominantly white city. I went to Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri, oh. um, which is not the University of Missouri. Some people are always like, okay. oh, Mizzou. No, no, I did not go to Mizzou, okay. um, which is that that's like a very much a sore point, especially since mm. I wanted to go to University of Kansas. I wanted to be a rock chalk Jayhawk, um, but I ended up not doing that because I ended up following a boy to Missouri State University, which I mean, that maybe sounds kind of bad, but I ended up marrying that boy. So I oh. guess that it, it, that yeah. it worked out. It worked out. Okay. <laughs> I was ready for you to say, and we broke up and it was a horrible, okay. It worked out. No, you got no, it, okay. it, it worked out. We've been together. It'll be 21 years in September. We've been married wow. for 18 years. So we'll actually celebrate our 18th anniversary on June 18th, which is two days before my book comes out. So I guess a momentous occasion and stuff all around. So anyway, um, whenever I started attending college in Springfield, Missouri, um, we started, we were looking at different Pentecostal churches, which my husband was, uh, my husband grew up um, Missouri Synod Lutheran, and he converted to Pentecostalism um, whenever we were toward the end of our senior year of high school. And so whenever we went off to college, um, we went to the one church in Springfield that was part of the Pentecostal denomination, um, the little Pentecostal fellowship that my, that my church that I had, um, grown up in that that was part of. Um, and I actually talk about this a little bit in the book, some of the decision like not to go there and not to, um, attend any of the other black churches in town, which there were not very many black churches in Springfield. Um, but ultimately just sort of felt like at the, at the time I wanted to spread my wings. And so I was like, okay, Hey, let me spread, let's spread my wings. But of course you're not spreading my wings too far. Um, went to a Pentecostal church, that was a white, predominantly mm. white Pentecostal church. And so then from there, um, from there, from the, from like through college and um, some of my young adulthood um, was in white uh, Pentecostal and charismatic non-denominational that with that sort of like Pentecostal charismatic flavor um, was there uh, for uh, several years. And then I helped plant a church, which was an interdenominational church whenever I was in um, seminary um, back in back in 2018 mm. uh, I did that as part of my uh, practicum uh, ministry practicum for seminary and then um, during the process of going to seminary I kind of um, ended up just you know I went to fuller theological seminary um, which is in Pasadena California but I did um, fuller online. So I was mm. able to, to stay, um, to, just to like, you know, not have to move out to, 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 uh, Pasadena or whatever, which was, which was good. Right. Um, but yeah, so I got my, uh, got my MDiv and kind of in the process of that, um, in the process of that, sometimes I don't think I say the word process, right? I think I say like, I don't know how I think I say it, but I always like hear myself <laughs> like process. I was like, did I, did I say that? Like, I say, like, <laughs> That's I how I am right? with the word conservatism. I'm like conservatism, conservatism. Yeah, it's like some, <laughs> sometimes those words, sometimes those words like trip you up and you're like, wait, yeah. wait a minute. How many, how many syllables is there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, like how many syllables are there? So process is one of those words that I, that I don't, I feel like I'm missing a syllable, so I'm sorry if I do that. Um, so anyway, throughout that, through the process of going to seminary, um, I was introduced to Anglicanism kind of as a, mm. as a broader um, expression. And um, a few, I, I really was thinking about ordination, was thinking about some different things. And some of my professors, um, I realized that I, that I couldn't really as a, as a black woman couldn't really remain in the Pentecostal tradition, not because I don't love that tradition. Um, but in terms, there's a million black Pentecostal denominations. There's a million Pentecostal de denominations period, but a million black de uh, Pentecostal denominations. And I was, just, and not a lot of them, um, not a lot of them ordain women or like some of them do. And I'm sure that somebody will jump up and be like, well, this de denomination does blah, blah, blah. And yes, I know that please trust me. I did, I did my research, but ultimately what I realized is like, 
I can't stay in this tradition um, and be a minister. And then, of course, um, being a person who's LGBT affirming and whatever, mm. I um, realized, you know, that that my time in that uh, circle was limited. And so I had a few uh, professors at Fuller who uh, recommended some different denominations to me were like, you know, I, I was you know, talking with some different professors and just sort of like, you know, I feel, I feel called to ordination. I'm not sure what to do, blah, 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 blah. Right. So they uh, recommended a few different denominations to me. And one of those denominations was the Episcopal Church. And I was like, and I never would have thought that I would ever a million years become an Episcopalian, um, but I felt drawn to Anglicanism and was just like, oh, okay, well, maybe this is where I should be. And so that's where I am at now. So I kind of went from being Black, black church, Pentecostal, uh, Baptist to a Black Episcopalian and the church that I attend in, um, because I live in Chicago, the church Mm. I attend in Chicago is a Black Episcopalian, a Black, uh, excuse me, a Black Episcopal church, um, which is, which is great um, to be able to be, because, because Episcopalianism is very, it's a very white uh, tradition, but there are Black churches in that. So yeah, so that's kind of, some of my journey. Wow. First off, thank you for sharing that journey. Um, it, it is quite the roller coaster as you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I have this dot here, this dot. Whoa, we're up here, we're down here, we're over here. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna be honest with you, Allie. I I fully admit I'm a little ignorant when it comes to Episcopal Church, Anglican Church. Can you kind of give and I think the audience might be a little like also like, okay, I've heard these terms a lot. Maybe I've seen some pictures, but can you kind of give us a breakdown like to, is Anglicanism and Episcopalianism, if that's even the term, are, are they like just different branches of the same, like, I don't know, um, denomination? Is it's that the even same, the right term? It's the same thing. So, it's the same thing. Okay. Yeah. So Anglican is the umbrella term. And Got it. pretty much everyone else in the world um, is that that follows like the same sort of traditions or whatever they use the term anglican we don't use the term or at least up until like 2009 we didn't use the term anglican in america because of this little thing called the revolutionary war so because anglican (laughs) england like the church of england um so that so like i will i will try not to unpack too much anglican history here or whatever but like the church of england um yeah. was started like henry the eighth not wanted like like the catholic church right. wouldn't let henry the eighth get divorced and so he was like okay fine i'm just gonna create my own church <laughs> and so like he did that <laughs> and so basically and i'm, and I'm sure that there's somebody out here who's like gonna be like really you know picking at my history but i don't care like this is this is my version right. of history right. and you can take and do with it what it is so so henry eighth was basically like okay cool well, i want to get divorced well i'm just gonna start my own church so he started his own church. And so then there's a whole, so then English history, blah, blah, blah. There's Catholicism. There's the Ref- Protestant Reformation. The church, yeah. in, uh, the church of England was formed by both Catholicism and both by the Reformation. Well, then the English, the biggest colonizers in the world, they went and they spread their religion all over the place. They they went, they raped and denuded Africa. Yeah. They, spread, they spread their colonizing religion there. They spread it to Australia. They spread it to all these other places. So you got all these places in the world where you have people who are called, who identify, they call themselves Anglican. There's this thing called the Anglican Communion. Well, one of the places that the colonizers went was also America. Mm. So you have people like George Washington, who they were part, they were members of the Church of England. Well, then we fought a little war to get away from Britain. So, but they still wanted to keep, they still wanted to keep their faith. They still wanted to keep their church. Um, Samuel Seabury, who was like the, one of the, one of the bishops and stuff um, in the Church of England. If you think Samuel Seabury, Seabury, he's the guy who sings uh, Farmer Refuted mm. in Hamilton. So, you know, he not the rabble. That guy who was a, who was a loyalist, well, he got thrown in jail. They they tuned him up. He started, he started singing like, ooh, America, yes, we great. Okay, cool. And so anyway, um, so Americans, this American Anglicans were sort of like, well, we fought this war to like not be English anymore. Right. So maybe we should just, you know, not call our religion that. So we're going to call it 
the Episcopal Church, because then the Episcopal comes from the type of um, polity that it has. So it, it is an Episcopal Church as opposed to like presbytery, pre- or Presbyterians. Episcopalians have bishops and all that other type of stuff. Presbyterians, that's a completely different, and and not, and I'm not talking the denomination. Like there are other, mm. um, there's a there's a church polity ecclesiology model that's presbytery or whatever that's Presbyterian, and then the Presbyterians just like kind of took that as they name. But anyway, so the so the Episcopalians is the same, it's the same faith, it's the same whatever. But then we see this term come again in America again. Um, a that, like in the in the mid to late 2000s because within the Episcopal Church there was a split and so there is the Episcopal Church and then then there were actually multiple splits I think that some of the first splits started to happen in like the 60s and 70s but like the big split happened in the 2000s and so there were there were splits in the in the 70s um, about women and clergy um and so there were some people that went off and they started their own little uh, like reformed Episcopal mm. or whatever types of um, types of, of churches and then the big split came um, over over sexual Sexuality over over um, human sexuality in 2009. Uh, there was a bishop back in 2002, I think it was, who was um, openly gay, who was ordained in the Episcopal Church, and so there were a lot of other things. As again, it was it was race, it was it was a, a combination of of race, of women in ministry, of some of of um, what some people saw as an increasing um, secularization secularization of the Episcopal Church. So it led to this split. There's a there's a denomination um, in America right now called the Anglican Church in North America that they use the term Anglican, but that term belongs to them, but it doesn't belong to them exclusively. So often, um, whenever you see a church that's Anglican, they are either A, a part of the Anglican Church in North America, or some church that has split off from the Episcopal Church, or B, um, and some churches do will say Anglican or will say Episcopal Anglican or Anglican Episcopal. So B, they're part of the Episcopal Church, but they might have a large immigrant population from other from other countries that they're not used to the term Episcopal, they're used to the term Anglican. And so that's like a lot of like history and whatever, and you probably don't care. But yeah, that's, so that's the thing. Well, let me just say, I I definitely do care. My head is spinning in the best way. And I think it's a great reminder, especially for folks like myself, like how complicated church history is even more recently. I mean, I never yeah. knew any of what you just said. It's like, wow, each of these traditions has like its own complicated um you know history of of splits and and names one last question just again just for, to have some some ba- backstory here then we're going to get into your book um what would be like you said that you you've been a part really of like you know black uh, pentecostal spaces and more white pentecostal spaces and now you're episcopal what are some of the biggest like I guess maybe theological differences or even like worship differences between Episcopal and maybe more evangelicalism. And I ask that because for me, my only context of the Episcopal church is like John Shelby Spong, uh, yeah. who is, yeah. I, I read his stuff and I'm like, I, I appreciate this, but even for me, this is a little far out there. I'm not sure how I feel about some of this stuff. Right. So yeah. when I have Episcopal in my hand, uh, my head, I just feel like as, as and forgive the wording, but like I, as far like away from like any sense of evangelicalism or even like biblical, um, um, like um, belief in like things like maybe a resurrection that was physical or the miracles. So maybe help me understand a more nuanced take of that. Because yeah, yeah, I don't so, want to have just that version in my head. <laughs> yeah. So um, the Episcopal Church is a bit is a big tent. Okay. There are okay. a lot of varying views within the Episcopal Church. So you, I talked about how um, the Anglican Church in North America split from the Episcopal Church over sexuality. Well, there were some people who agreed with the Anglican Church of North America 
on that on that issue, but they didn't split because of their views on ecclesiology. Because essentially, they were like, "Wait a minute, schism!" Like we like like they they consider that like a schism. I, I use the word split. Some other people would use the word schism. And so there is so for some people, it, it uh, basically starting there's a controversy within Anglicanism on whether or not the Anglican Church in North America can actually consider itself Anglican. And I won't get into all wow. that because that's that's a lot of insider ball, but there's but there but there is a lot of shade there wow. is a lot there there's a lot of shade there's a lot of tension there's a there's a lot of there is just it it's it's real it, it's real out here in these anglican streets okay. like you wouldn't right. you wouldn't think it you wouldn't think it but it's but it could be it can be raw it can be real out here in these anglican streets for real though so Man, anyway, so so Anglican theology is big tent. So you know, you talk about Bishop Spong. Um, he represents um, he represents what some people would maybe consider a more extreme, um, an extreme, a, a more like left liberal, extreme like liberal view of theology. That's not necessarily mainstream Episcopal theology. I mean, in, in the Episcopal Church, in most Episcopal churches every week, we say the Nicene Creed. That's that's what we believe. <laughs> you know, we believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm not, I can I can say it, but I'm not gonna but I'm not gonna say it. Um one for time and two because I'll probably mess it up because I get that confused with the Apostles' Creed because they basically the same thing. Yeah, but anyway, same. um so so anyway, so I'll be like, she left out words, whatever. So anyway, but you get it. So like that's that's what the Episcopal Church affirms. That's that's what our best that's, that's the, the basic of our doctrine. Um, you know, is is faith according to reason with tradition also in there. So some of the different than like between in my upbringing um in some ways even being part of a black episcopal church is like a return to what i came out of in the black and even to a degree the black pentecostal tradition so with black church you you throw a whole other thing in there because it's um you know, it's some of it. Some of the differences is simply is are simply ceremonial. So, like in, in my black, and so I also before I started worshiping at my black Episcopal church in Chicago, I was actually part of a white Episcopal church. Um, that that was my that was the first church that I that I went to. Um, but that's that, that that's a whole other that's a whole other different thing. So, um, the the black churches and stuff that that I attended. Um, are that that I've attended in my life are all like very similar. Like, um, you know, the the Black Pentecostal Church. There's the there's the, the worship was a little bit more exuberant. Um, you know, where where people um, would shout, where, where people where people shout. So like shout. So like they're in Baptist in Baptist churches and Black Baptist churches. Black people talk about like you get in Baptist churches you get happy, in Pentecostal churches you shout. And so they are, so like if the, the Venn diagram is very, is, is almost a circle, but Baptist, or some people even talk about like, you know, having like a Baptist fit or whatever. So like, you know, you might be, so in a Baptist church, you know, you might be, you might be praying or something like that. And like, you know, I remember as a kid, like, you know, my grandma would, would sometimes she would, she would get happy and, you know, she might start clapping or something like that. Or, you know, I remember one time that she kind of like started jumping a little bit or whatever. And that's like sort of, that might happen. And it happens for like a minute or two and then like you know the person like calms down you know somebody might start fanning them even though like in the church that I grew up in they're like oh no don't fan them because like that can make them like faint it can send them into shock I don't know if that's true or not but but we stopped fanning people the ushers stopped fanning people in the Baptist church that I grew up in so in contrast in the Black Pentecostal church somebody catches the Holy Ghost and they and it's it's just it's a lot more it's a lot extra they might hoop and they might holler they might they might dance in place they might have what some people call a praise break they might run around the church or whatever and so there's so it's just shades in in my black episcopal church um 
you know, sometimes like like if it is if it's really like moving up in there, you know, people 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 might clap, people people amen. Um, and this is this is at the service that that where we where we have um where the where there's like music and everything because there's another service um where there's not as much music, but but the service where we have a choir and stuff, like people might clap. There's been there's been a couple of times where people maybe have have gotten happy, but it's but it's a little bit more reserved, but reserved with an asterisk for black people. Now okay. there are black or there excuse me there are black episcopal churches that are very that would be very quiet that would be very reserved that maybe you know they wouldn't amen the sermon or whatever. Mm. I'm sure that that exists. But in my but in my experience um and and then also with things that I've seen from the National Episcopal Church the the, the black episcopalians um within that church we're a little we're a little bit more exuberant. So then with with the white churches that I've been a part of the white pentecostal and charismatic churches and stuff that I've been a part of similar to the black churches um in that um similar to like the black the black pentecostal churches in that you know yeah they're gonna they're gonna speak in tongues um i went to a church that 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 you know people that people shouted at that doesn't always happen in um in white uh, uh, pentecostal or charismatic churches like there, there are certain uh white pentecostals that that might shout and some of that's an appropriation of black culture mm-hmm. um but then even like you know the music the style the, some some of the differences is the style of music it's can these people clap on two and four or are they clapping on one and three <laughs> as, as a drummer the one and three kills me okay? the one and three it, it yes. kills me the one, the one, the one, the one, three. I'm like, y'all, come on, come on, y'all. It's like, you know, is the, is the song, mm-hmm. is the song saying, sung straight or is it, or is it syncopated? Right. And so like some of, so there, so there's some differences there. And then of course, whenever we start to get into race and racism, mm. the, the, where we start to get into preaching, the black churches that I've attended very much, the, the preaching was, was about justice and, and in different, and in different ways, um, in each of, each of them in kind of their own ways, but preaching about justice. Is preaching about about issues that we that we feel that we experience in in our minds in our in our bodies um, the preaching you know being exuberant or whatever versus um, maybe maybe more kind of heady intele- intellectual or pseudo intellectual um, preaching wanting to be intellectual preaching um, in white churches or you know white Pentecostal charismatic. Um, churches, um, some of them, you know, wanting to be heady and intellectual or pseudo intellectual, and, and maybe not really meeting that mark, and then others, you know, just just a diff- it's a different it's just a different ethos. Hmm. Well, I got to be honest, I, I I was not expecting to go in this direction with you during this interview, but I'm so glad that we did because it's so helpful and clearly like you know so much about this. So thank you for sharing. I mean, at least for me, it's very helpful just to have some kind of like mental idea of when I hear the word, you know, Episcopal or Anglican, I have a different framework. So, I, you know, thanks for sharing all that. So let's get into your book. I mean, so you wrote a book. I have a copy of it here. I won't shut up. Finding your voice when the world tries to silence you. Why this book? I'm, I'm so curious. Like, what was the journey for you that that because writing a book is not it's not a simple thing. It's not like writing a blog post, right? You got to mm-hmm. find a publisher and maybe you have an agent. Then you got to get your, your book proposal done and yeah. have an outline and spend all the time writing an actual book. Mm-hmm. So what was the motivation for you that, that, that said, I need to write a book um, that, that is this? Give me some of the backstory. Yeah, so I had some friends that were just like, yeah, you need to write a book. And I'm sort of like, I don't know if I have anything to write a book about. And so... Um, after a set of events that I actually talk about in in my book toward toward the end in the in the third part of my book, um, but my family like the short story is my family ended up leaving a church that we had been connected to um, for many years. So it was actually the church that that my husband and I uh, started attending whenever we were in college. So there was a there was a whole kind of up and down uh, plot twist, whatever with with all of this. But um, there there came to be a point when we ended up disconnecting from that institution. And so then um, I was already, I was already planning on writing my book. Um, Whenever this happened, I was already um, going to set aside time. But of course, like that, all the happenings and stuff around that were sort of top of mind. And I was sort of still processing some of that um, as I was sitting down to write my book. 
And so um, the first, actually like the very first thing um, that you read, I guess, aside from like the, the foreword or the author's note or whatever, but the, but like it's called like the overture. Um, the first uh, chapter, but it's not really a chapter, it's like an introduction, um, is what I wrote the first time um, that I that I sat down to write this book. And mm. so um, it's been, you know, obviously like edited, it's gone through different iterations, it's been expanded or whatever. Sure. But like the crux of that, of and it starts out, I am a loud black woman. Mm. A loud black woman. Um it it was all sort of birthed out of these experiences that, that I say that that one experience that was just you know that was like it's kind of like you know the straw that breaks the camel's back right um but but this whole but but I, I was writing out of this whole sort of place of feeling silenced um and recognizing that the silencing was happening because I'm a black woman and then looking over my life and recognizing other times that I've been silenced as a Black woman and looking at um, society's larger um, treatment of Black women. And so that was sort of the headspace that I was in um, whenever whenever I started writing this book. Wow. So, so what was, so kind of give us maybe an overview of the book. So is it like, who? I'll, all right, let's start here. Who's your target audience for that, for a book like this? So the people that I'm writing to specifically yeah. Yeah. are black women. Mm. Um, so then, so it's kind of concentric circles, right? So, so, so I am, I am a black cishet woman. That is, so that, that is the audience to whom I've write writing, or even specifically a black cis het women woman with specific types of experiences of having grown up um, in a predominantly white community, et cetera, et cetera. I am writing to people who have that experience. But then that experience then goes, it can branch out to black men who have experience, who have the same experiences, blah, 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 blah. That can, that can branch out to black queer people with, with blah, 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 blah. And then, then more broadly and more broadly and more broadly. And then, you know, to where it gets to really anyone who has ever felt like they have been silenced in their lives by forces of injustice, by things that have that have been wrong, have been done to them. There's there's something there for for everybody, even though the the grammar, the way that it the way that it um, is packaged is as written by a black woman. Mm. There's um, one act that got my attention, act two. If white folks don't do nothing else, they will make sure to do racism. Some of these chapter titles, uh, like chapter number seven, uh, Barack Obama is the Antichrist. You know, it's interesting because I, at that point in my life, I grew up very conservative, evangelical, mm -hmm. obviously a white, you know, cis man, a man. And so I think I was maybe late teens or early teens. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm in an environment that has Rush Limbaugh on, Sean Hannity on, you know, all the time. And, um, that, that for sure was the takeaway about Barack Obama. Uh, and much to my own embarrassment now and regret, you know, I did not vote for him either time. And I look back now and I go, what was I thinking? I mean, I was also 18, you know, um, but, yeah. but, but talk to me more, like, like talk to me more ab about act two and then like what you were thinking while you were writing it and, and, and maybe some of the experience that you were drawing on in your own life to write that, that, that section. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I'll say just like a larger kind of structural thing. Um, in my mind, I was thinking as I was writing this book, I, Parts to me were just like too, like everybody was like, oh, this book is part one or part two or whatever. But I was like, wait a minute, no, no, these are, these are like acts. Like this is like, it's kind of a, it's kind of part memoir, part whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm old enough that I was a Nickelodeon kid, like in like the early, I, I remember Nickelodeon like for a minute. I remember whenever I, I was experiencing Nickelodeon, like whenever Rugrats and, totally. um, and Doug and that type of stuff were new. Like I remember when those shows premiered <laughs> sure. on Nickelodeon. I'm that old, and so um, so there was this little show on Nickelodeon called Clarissa Explains It All, a classic, and a, a classic, classic show. A classic, and so yeah. Melissa Joan Hart plays yeah. Clarissa, and she 
constantly breaks the fourth wall. It's not like iCarly. I'm not overly familiar with iCarly, but from what I know (laughs) of it is it's kind of like she has her own little like vlog or web show or something like that. It's not like that. It's literally like the camera is in the house with Clarissa. She's not on the internet or whatever. We're just, she breaks the fourth wall. She talks about all these things. She will have like things that's like a little news update and all these different things. (laughs) And so in my mind, as a six-year-old, whenever I'm watching this show, suddenly like every mirror became like the thing that I was talking to. And that was like my audience and the people who were watching me in uh, like, cause who it's like, I don't know if I thought I was on the Truman show before the Truman was that I had that idea, I guess the Truman show idea before anybody else did, but I'm out here like, this is my world and I'm going to, to talk to it or whatever. So I, so kind of playing off of that in my mind, I was like, you know, instead of, instead of like parts, I should have acts like it should mm. like and so and so technically it's it's a the book is kind of like a play of my life in a way and technically it's a musical um and originally this is like insider stuff here originally the original manuscript actually was filled with different song lyrics and references. Um, And you you get that sometimes in the titles of chapters. So like chapter four, I believe it is, um, is Unpretty. Um, And then in parentheses, I Want to Dance with Somebody, Mm -hmm. um, which which of course Unpretty is a song by TLC, I Want to Dance with Somebody, Whitney Houston, classic Whitney Houston song. Um, So originally like that was the thing. So I had like the different song lyrics. Well, I found out um, that you have to like, to publish song lyrics, you actually have to have like the rights to a song. And what? that is like really, I know, isn't that ridiculous? Is it, it's, but hold on, I, I gotta pause there. Is there some kind of like character limit? Like, hey, I mean, if you said I wanna dance with somebody, how are they gonna actually sue you for that? that, that that's so just like, like a common phrase. So, like, you can use the title of a song, but like, you can't use the lyrics of a song without paying for it. Like, there are some exceptions. Like, you can you can use like if it's like a certain percentage. I was like, I'm not. I ain't trying to mess with all that. So, like, I'm not <laughs> yeah, trying right. to decide of right. like what percentage of the song. Like, like forget <laughs> yeah, that. Bump that. We just sure. we just. I just saw my editor. Bump that. We taking the lyrics out. Like I'm right, not, I'm not right, messing with all that. Right. Um, so anyway, so like that, but that's just, you know, insider that's actually supposed to be a musical. So in naming these Noted. parts, you know, first part is the secret origins of Allie Henning. The second part is if white folks don't do nothing else, this will be racist or something. I can never say the thing right, but it's, it's written there, um, is written in the book. So basically like, you know, the first part is me talking about like some of my some of my upbringing and stuff and it's really setting the stage for the second part the second part the the second act is where just like a lot of the ridiculous stuff starts to happen and I just I couldn't think of any like that was literally like it's like well you know this part of my life so this is like from the time I graduate high school like really up until um, I started I think some of my social media platform or whatever um, back in 2018 and not that I'm like you know I'm going day by day minute by minute hour by hour during that it's a very high level overview of that of that part and that part of my life being in like these some of these white christian spaces was these people if white people don't do nothing else they are going to do racism like in every story it's just like they they didn't do nothing else but be racist and that was just that that was it it was just like y'all are just gonna be racist and mm. and so and I, and I had to and i had to deal with that mm. you know there, i I have talked to a few different um, black authors who are women who have written books and who have some of the same ingredients in your story. You know, they grew up in the black church, eventually made their way over to white evangelicalism and then kind of found their way out of it at some point. And I hear a lot of the same themes, honestly, uh, when it comes to, 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 to the stories, you know, and, and this and what you just said is one of them is, is, is the amount of either microaggressions or just, you know, blatant racism or um, um, how um, when something around a racial justice issue or when someone, um, you know, was was killed by police um, and all of a sudden that friendship you thought was safe, you tell that person how you're feeling and they go, well, what do you mean? You know, wasn't that person running from police? And you go, wait, what are we talking about here? It's like a real just kind of like shift in that friendship. Did you have any of like, are, are those the experiences that you're talking about and drawing from in your own you know, personal life that 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 that, that led you to that kind of act? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, all our our stories are different, you know, because there are right. there they are our own unique stories and so yep. I experienced my own unique um form and 
brand of racism, um, you know, based on where I went to church, based on where I live, based on all these different things. Um, But yeah, a lot of our, you look at all these different stories and um, you you take somebody like a a Dante Stewart shouting in in the fire or... um, or an Austin Channing Brown or something like that. And and our stories rhyme with one another. Yes. Like they, yes. they show the stuff shows up differently. Like my stuff shows up differently. Um, because you know, I'm a black woman minister. And so right. a lot of so a lot of my stories um take place in the church is something that I say. Um in one because my story, of course, is a play, so it's gotta have intermission, right? And so like you know, during during like the first intermission, like, you know, it says like, you know, yeah, like the site and source of a lot of the harm that I experienced was in the church. But that's not like like the things that I have that I experienced. Many of them could have happened in some shape, form, or fashion anywhere. There's maybe one part, one story, where one exact outrageous thing that happened in a church um, wouldn't necessarily happen someplace else. That's in the chapter called Stonewall Jackson. Hear our prayer. Mm. Um, that oh my gosh. that uh, that. Uh, incident um, is maybe something that wouldn't happen exactly that way someplace else, but it could, it in some shape or form could, could take on another, another um, shape or form at like, you know, in a school or in some other type of institution. Mm. And so, um, yeah, our stories rhyme with one another, but like they, they trace a very similar trajectory. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I tell people I am very new to my own internal work of decolonizing. I have a lot more to learn and I'm I'm just trying to be a student and just trying to soak in cuz I miss so much of my white evangelical tradition. You know, I mean, I didn't know who James mm-hmm. Cone was until I was like, I don't know, 2 years ago. And I'm like, "Oh, who's wow, yeah. who's James Cone?" Yeah, you know, I never heard mm-hmm. of this person. I'm reading his books, so I'm like, "Oh my goodness." And then of course other authors as well that that you just you just miss, right? Because you're not exposed to them. Um, and I think that I think your your way of putting it that like these stories rhyme is really well put because as I'm reading more and more stories from folks who I either know in person or who are authors that I respect, I see a lot of the same um, I call them ingredients, but just same mm-hmm. things, even though the cake is totally different. It's you see a lot of similarities of like, wow. And I th- I think maybe what is um for me. Um, being again someone who um, is just a white man what is always more and more shocking to me is that I think that one of the illusions I bought into uh, was that well maybe there's some racism out there but in the church like we've solved that problem you know like hey in the church we're not racist I mean it is laughable now it it truly Mm -hmm. is but when you're in those circles especially when you're a white person in white evangelicalism you really think that like somehow it's safer in here. And I think what's so discouraging is reading stories like yours is that actually not only was it just not as safe in some ways, it was actually less safe because the amount of vulnerability and trust that was established. Do you think that's an accurate, you know, way of putting it? What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. So something that you said about like your know, racism being something that happens out there. Um, I'm terrible at quoting myself and what I write, but I say something very, very similar. Um, I'm terrible at quoting a lot of things. I'm just same, myself. Same. Um, I'm not. I, I can get you. I can get you on like the context, and I can get you right. on like what it's what it's supposed what yeah. it means. But don't. Yeah. But like, I, I was never like good at being somebody that like you quote scripture. I mean, it's like I know, like I know the Bible. I know the scripture. I, I listen to the Bible in some shape or form um, every every single day. If not like actually reading it, like I listen to it. The Word of God is written on my hearts, y'all. <laughs> but I can, but I cannot quote it for. Crap. I'm the same. I'm like, the same don't, way. Don't ask me to. I, I got. I got you all. Jesus wept. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> I was like, I can say Jesus wept and love your neighbor. There you go. You I, I got. I got you all. I got you all love your neighbors as yourself. I got you all the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? Right. I got I like I got you on a few things. Right. But I don't right. but I don't got you on some like like I probably couldn't quote John 316 well <laughs> right now. Like I could do it, but it's gonna be like mixed up with begotten and not and like I, and it's gonna be like, but yeah, God God loved you. Like it's gonna it's gonna be a mess. So anyway, so I'm terrible at, at quoting stuff, but basically I say something to the effect of um white churches want think about racism as like something out there like they like they they they're like okay you know we'll we'll deal we'll deal with the racism you know racism is wrong and so we'll deal with it if 
it shows up here. Right. So it's like, so it's like, you know, there's not the belief. It's like something there, there's that if, if it shows up here, yeah. it went with like, like if it shows up here, we'll deal with it. And like, they'll be doing that. And it's like, bro, it's like, bro, it's, it's here. <laughs> it's, it's here. It's, it's right here. It is manifest. But like, it's sort of like, well, yeah, you know, we want to, we want to deal with it and we see it as an issue and we see it as a problem. But the problem is that a lot of folks think that racism is white hoods. They think that it's, that it's dudes wearing bed sheets, burning crosses. Yeah, totally. They think, they think that it's the N word. They think that it's all this other type of stuff. And that is only, whenever you've reached that point of racism, like it, there, there's a whole lot of of aiding and abetting and complicity and all this other type of stuff that you that you have to allow to get to that point mm-hmm. to get to the point of where where people are are hanging from trees and yeah. like like to get to the point where that where that's happening it takes a whole lot more so whenever we're saying well you know yeah it was it was racist whenever whenever George Zimmerman shot Trayvon Martin like people don't people don't want to see like like white Christians you know they didn't they didn't want to see well well how was that racist but he was this but he was that right. whenever Michael Brown I talk about I talk about Michael Brown and, and several others in, in my book and whenever his body was laying in the street for four hours people wanted to sit and talk his body was laying in the street uncovered for four hours and all white people could talk about was how he might have run from from the cops right black people in the in the meantime and I talk about this this in in one of the chapters of the book, like like comparing and contrasting the response to this, where white people were wanting to were wanting to argue about specifics, black folks were sitting here saying like that child is laying was laying dead in the street for four hours, and we saw in Michael Brown, we saw our sons, we saw our uncles, we saw our nephews, we saw our cousin. I have a cousin. Who is Michael? Who's Michael Brown's um, same age? Who would be Michael Brown's same age um, if Michael Brown was still was still alive? Mm-hmm. I saw I saw my I call him he's my cousin, but I call him my nephew because he's the same age as as my niece. Mm-hmm. And I I saw Dominic in Michael in Michael Brown. I saw my nephew Tyree. I saw my nephew Christian. Um, you know, I see my nephew Finner like in in that. And so it's like y'all wanting to, to fight about y'all wanting to get upset about somebody burning down a McDonald's in the hood that you wouldn't have even visited in the first place because you right. would have been too scared to stop in that part of St. Louis to eat anything, let alone whatever. But y'all want to be upset about that. Right. Y'all want to y'all want to go off about a dang CVS getting burnt up. But y'all want to go off about about the riots, quote unquote, about whatever. Y'all want to go off about all of that. And y'all don't want to see the, that the reason why people are responding the way that they were responding is because a child is dead. Yeah. And that child is one more dead black kid in a line of dead black, young black men. And... Y'all just want to see yourself as individual and just like, oh, well, it was just one person. And we're like, no, this is this is history. We're right. seeing this. We are seeing this repeated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's really helpful. Um, talk to me. You I, you mentioned that. Um, and again, like I'm giving you just my perception as someone who didn't grow up in some of these spaces, but, um. You mentioned that even in like more black, charismatic, or Pentecostal spaces, you had a hard time like being a a pastor. Is that, is that correct? Did I hear you right when you said that? Yeah. So I would, I would say it this way. It wasn't so, it was, how how do I say this? I real as an adult, because I, because I spent, you know, uh, my, my, you know, young adult and, and teen, my teen years, my preteen, teen years in those, in those spaces. And then, you know, as much as I, would have wanted to go back and looked at at quote unquote going back. What I realized is that there is a, often a lot of um, patriarchy in black churches. So, you know, black churches sometimes, and, and I want to be careful about speaking about the black church, but at the same time, like some of the things that um, the black church needs to reckon with within its within itself and sure. why um because you know a lot of I, i'm a part of an aging congregation i'm I'm a young person in an aging and i'm gonna be 38 this year and i'm a young one of the younger adults in this aging congregation and one of the things that constantly comes up 
are the young people and how do we get the young people here and how do we get the young people to stay here? And, um, and that's a constant conversation that a lot of black churches have. And what a lot of black churches don't realize is that the homophobia and the patriarchy is what, um, and among other things is often what runs those young people off and, and keeps them and keeps them out of the churches. So whenever I was looking at really trying to find a denominational home, I'm not really, I, I, at the time especially, wasn't really a big denominationalist and not a big fan of denominations, but I realized that um, for some of the places that, that you know, I believe that, that God is taking me and some of the things um, that I want to do, that is good to be able to being part of a being a part of a group of people and having that credibility among people, the credibility yeah. of ordination that's that's important. Yeah. Um, where in you know non-denominational circles, because it's not it's, nobody's interconnected with anything hardly, you have to kind of start over again. And I was tired of of starting over again because I you know, I'd moved a couple of times, whatever. I was like, I'm not I'm not doing that. Right, and so. What I realized in researching black churches and, and black denominations and black black churches and stuff within within the Pentecostal denomination in particular was that there were a large number of churches that don't ordain women, or they do, they might give out licenses or this and that, but women don't have the same, um, aren't treated with the same um level of of given their, their ministry is given the same type and level of credibility and care as it is with men and um there are black denominations that do and that's not to say it was all black denominations because that's that's not true there are some black denominations um that do that do ordain women um you have the ame church being being the the chief of them i considered becoming ame um actually and one of the reasons why i didn't is because i'm in an interracial marriage and i was sort of like oh you know and i since you have learned that you know there are there i think they're even white AME ministers and everything. But I was sort of like, oh, you know, do I want to be married to a white man in this like historic black organization? I sort of feel like, you know, I, I, I'm about like preserving black space and preserving black spaces, black mm. spaces. And so even some of my, some of my ethos um, within, with that even of, um, you know, not being, not being sure um, with being married to a white man, um, not wanting to, um, bring my interracial marriage into a into a space um where that could potentially be triggering for some people hmm. um where that could potentially where where that could potentially like cause controversy and that's not saying anything about like the AME or AME churches or whatever it was just sort of like my thing my individual thing as a person at the time would i make a different decision today perhaps hmm. um but at the time i was just sort of like you know i'm not sure if that if that sits well with me um even to, because you know the, some of it is not even the denomination itself, but like joining a church, and then it's like you know I'm joining a church, right. and 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 bringing my white husband into this black space, and what does that and what does that mean, and what are the implications of that? And you know, black churches are often safe spaces for black people. Um, black churches are also very inclusive of non-black people, and so you know, trying to balance out my own my own sense of ethics of not wanting to um, in these difficult times trample what could potentially be safe space for black people um and then but then also um the bit that was that was part of it but then the bigger issue for me was simply was simply the patriarchy um that that exists and then also um another thing that that prevented me from um joining the ame church because where i would have maybe um where I would have maybe done a little bit more investigation, et cetera, is that they don't have a clear stance on um, human sexuality and gender identity. Mm -hmm. And um, that does not, my, my ethos as it concerns um, being, being queer affirming um, did not, it did not sit well with me to be part of a denomination that does not clearly 
and clear that that isn't clear one way or the yeah. or the other right and so um that and so that was another that was another aspect too where i was just like this denomination so i'm i'm you know married to a white man wanting to go into a historic black denomination i want to make sure that i'm not that that i'm not trampling on what could be a safe space for for black people number one number two and this is, these aren't in like rank order but number two Gender equality. Am I going to be able to enjoy the same benefits as people, um, as as men? And if it's like I, don't, I have no designs to ever lead a denomination, but right. I don't want to be prevented from leading a denomination. And then number three, again, this isn't rank order, but but stances on human sexuality and gender identity, and I um, cannot be part of um, a, a church that would that does not affirm queer people that does yeah. not take an affirmative stance. And so for all, so in order um, to have, you know, most of those things in some shape or form, um, the Episcopal church ended up being a better fit for me. There are, are there other denominations that might've been um, a fit for me? Absolutely. Are there other black denominations that might've been a fit for me? Absolutely. Um, but just given with what I had at the, what I was working with at the time, that was what I did. So let me ask you this. Um, what do you think, how important do you think, especially points two and three, you know, uh, that 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 churches are not patriarchal in that sense and that churches are inclusive of the queer community? How important is that for the future of the church um, um, with, with you know, potentially another generation like Gen Z or, you know, I'm a I'm 34. So we're, we're roughly in the same age bracket. But for like folks who might be like younger millennials, how important are those two issues, do you think, for the vitality of the church going forward? They're critical, and some folks are going to find themselves pretty quickly without congregations, without without buildings, without resources, without funds because because of their stances on these issues. Yeah, and I tend to I tend to agree with you. I, I'm more and more convinced that um, those things, and also I would argue, especially in white evangelical spaces, uh, a, a real wake up call and reckoning with our own complicity um, uh, in racism, uh, both as individuals and also as like a church culture systemically go, you know, speaking back to the, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, 19th, 20th century and, and all throughout that. I mean, we, people like me don't get told that the reason why the moral majority started was over school segregation, not abortion. Right. But mm-hmm. when you discover that you go, holy shit, like mm-hmm. I, I had no idea. Or when you realize that Bob Jones university ended their ban on interracial dating in the year 2000, uh, you go, oh, uh, this I, I was alive then, right? Right. And so I, I think like I, like those three things in particular are kind of maybe like that <laughs> the holy trinity, if you will, of just like issues that I don't see um, a new generation, broadly speaking, uh, you know, feeling like, oh yeah, I can capitulate on 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 excluding my queer neighbors or on not acknowledging you know the own problems in our tradition um, or excluding women because of some really, I would argue, bad translation of the Bible. So I, I tend to be in the same bracket as you on those three issues for sure. Um, well, wow, man, time really flies when you're talking about this stuff. I think one of my last questions for you, and Ali, I want to thank you again for making time. And your book comes out June 16th. Is that correct? June 20th. Sorry, June 20th. Um, and it's available wherever books are sold, right? So Amazon, yeah. all the platforms. I'll make sure that, that that we put a link in the show notes so folks can either pre-order it or buy it, depending on when the episode comes out. I think one of my, you know, last questions for you is is you said earlier that this book is you your audience that you had in mind were black women, you know, and just a mm-hmm. message for them. If you're if you're talking to some of them right now on this podcast, you know, what what is your message for them? That, that you say, hey, this is why I wrote the book. Here's why I wrote it for you. Here's my, here's my message to you on this podcast. Yeah, so, you know, I think that this specific audience of people that are evangelical or evangelical adjacent, um, I think that, the, that to me, the specific message that this book would carry for someone in that, in that space is to really evaluate your participation and that it is okay if you leave. Like mm-hmm. you can, you can get out, pre- preserve yourself, preserve, yeah. preserve your dignity. Um, don't let people take your voice away. Don't let people steal the the fire for, um, for justice, for dignity, for that from you. 
uh, by throwing out some fine-sounding theological arguments, by throwing out those those things that those little things that bind your conscience, like, oh well, you know, you you've changed. Well, you seem different. Well, you know, the things that that you know they they want to they want to go and, and send you Candace Owens videos uh, and and have yeah. ask you to read Thomas Sowell and all this other type of stuff. Um, you don't have to be in. You don't have to be there, mm-hmm. and that might represent. Um, that might represent like losing some things. And I talk about that. Um, I I have a chapter called loss management um, that talks about, that talks about losing people and losing friends and what that means. Um, My story I've had, it it deals with um, having those moments where friendships suddenly are no more because of stances that you took. And even sometimes like it can be just the weirdest, smallest thing that somebody gets upset about and they suddenly um, decide that they don't want to be your friend anymore. Um, Sometimes like you can just, you can leave people on red. That's actually a chapter of the book. Leave them on red. Um, But you can, but you don't have to, you don't have to tolerate these things. You don't have to just simply be okay with it because you like like the, like they are not God. Mm. Like I think that evangelicalism um, has a lot of folks convinced, and I'm thankful that in that you know, well Pentecostals and Charismatics don't really always identify as evangelical anyway. But that's never I've never held that as an identity for myself, and I'm glad that I haven't um, because I think as I've seen as people who hold certain identities, it's like you hold that identity and that becomes, and that identity becomes who you are when it's something that maybe it was who you are or what you stood for at a certain period of time, but you need to like, let that, you know, sometimes you need to let things go and, and find a new identity. Um, and so I think that for some people, um, for some black people, for some black, even evangelicals, there is so much, um, weight and emphasis put on being right, um, on having the right doctrine, the right belief, the right whatever. Um, but there's not a whole lot of emphasis put being put on being righteous. And so like, you know, those people aren't God. That church isn't, that church that you're a part of isn't God. The denomination that you're a part of, that's not, that's not God. And by leaving those people and by leaving things in the systems and stuff that are, that are harming you and honestly that are abusing you, um, by conceding parts of your identity and all that other type of stuff, like you don't, you don't have to do that. You can just, you can, you can go. And in doing that, you're not leaving God. So, yeah. That's great. Well, um, Allie, where can folks find you if they want to follow you online? Do you have a social media presence, Twitter, Instagram? Plug it away. Yeah. So you can find me on Facebook. Um, Allie Henny is just my name. I'm there. Um, it's a, it's a, there's a public page. Um, if you find like my personal page, I'm not going to friend. If you try to friend me, like I'm not going to, you can follow me there, but you're not going to see a whole, I mean, I guess like that's a lot of my posts are public, but you're not going to get, you're not going to get the content. You're not going to get the thing that people, that people pay for. Yeah. Um, figuratively pay for on Facebook. Um, but yeah, you can, you can follow me on Facebook, um, on TikTok. I am the Allie Henny. I'm also on Instagram again, just my name, Allie Henny. Friends, the book is I Won't Shut Up by Ali Henny, Finding Your Voice When the World Tries to Silence You. Like I said, depending on when this podcast um, has released, you can either pre-order the book or pick the book up at your local bookstore. Ali, it's great having you with us on the podcast. Thanks for your time, and I'm sure we'll do it again. Friends, I'll talk to you all later. See ya.